I'm going to spend a couple of weeks, as I did last time, talking from the book of Psalms. And I think most of us, our first thought from Psalms is, you know, it's about praise and worship. And a lot of the Psalms are. In fact, the book of Psalms really was the hymnal, the songbook, the uh, record collection for ancient Israel when they would enter in to worship. But I want to remind you, as we ask that God will touch us today, as we put our antennas up high that we might hear his word, uh, I want to remind you that not all of the Psalms are about praise, nor are all the Psalms about blessing the Lord or being blessed by the Lord, though a lot of them are. To make a long story short, not all the Psalms are going to cause you to shout hallelujah and amen. Some of them may be more of an oh me than an, an amen. And let's be, let's be frank, our lives, not every single second of every day, is praise on the top of our list. Uh, sometimes that doesn't describe the reality of where we're at at any given particular moment. And what may or may not surprise you is that the Psalms have uh, all of that in them. There's 150 Psalms. They, they, they touch on all the issues of life. They go from, you know, people that are in despair to people that are angry. Some are angry at God. Some are angry at people. Some are angry at God's people. Uh, other Psalms uh, will talk about things that, you know, we don't like to talk much about in church. You know, those things like, well, God, I, I believe, but I don't know. I'm, I'm not, so, not so sure right now. So today I wanted to take a look at one of the Psalms uh, actually, it's going to end up being Psalm 73. For all of you that want to just follow along here, or if you have a Bible or a smart device you'd like to follow along with, we'll be in Psalm 73 in just a moment. And while you're kind of looking that up, I also want to point out to you that the Psalms are so powerful that they are the most often referred to book by our own Savior, Jesus Christ. During his earthly ministry, he would make references to his scriptures. We call them the Old Testament. And the one he was most typical, uh, the one he used most typically was the book of Psalms. Even on the cross, close to his death, he quotes from Psalm 22. A lot of you know what I'm talking about. In, in Aramaic, it comes across, what is it? Eloi, Eloi, uh, Lami Sabachthani, which is being translated Psalm 22, verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Little side note right now, that means at that moment, Jesus was experiencing the sin of all humankind for all kind upon him, and he had never, ever experienced what sin does, the estrangement, the separation from God, and he cries out how he feels by quoting the Bible, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? The entirety of the book of Psalms, I want to tell you, they still speak to us, they encourage us, they challenge us, they teach us. Uh, I want to quote a writer I read. I think he summarized the book of Psalms pretty good. He says, the Psalms give us strength in adversity, gratitude in success, hope in the midst of sorrow, penitence and repentance in guilt and shame, thanksgiving in blessing, and faith in the middle of despair. Today, as we read right now, Psalm 73, 73 I want to ask anyone here, are you glad I am that God still listens to naive and complaining prayers? I'm ready for Asaph, this is not a Psalm of David. He wrote a lot of them, but not all of them. Psalm 73 is a Psalm of Asaph. And I'm ready to hear Asaph 
testimony right now. Uh, I may skim through all of it, but I'll read a few of these 28 verses a little more carefully. Psalm 73, verse 1, he starts off by saying, Surely, certainly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. He's like trying to pump himself up. That's got to be true. But look at the next verse. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I almost called this message almost. I almost fell. I almost gave up. I almost threw in the towel with this whole faith thing. I almost gave up my faith in God. He says, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. How did this happen? Watch. For I envied, do you know that envy, this is not a Bible thing, but in history, envy is one of the seven deadly sins. Watch out. He says, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. <laughs> do you ever feel like that in this day and age? You look around the world, you go, wow, man. Or certainly with social media now, with people posting, it almost always looked like looks like everyone else is having a better, happier, more successful life than we are. He says, they don't have any struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. Just look at that post. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by, by human ills. Yeah, they're a little bit pride and they got, uh, they got, they wear it like a necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. Talks about their callous hearts, their evil imaginations. In other words, it gets wild and wacky out there. They scoff and speak with malice, rather, with arrogance. They threaten oppression. Uh, their mouths make claim to heaven, but their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up their waters. And he just to jump down to verse 13, if you're following, he goes, does this sound familiar? Surely in vain. It's like, this does not do me any good. Surely in vain, I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I've been afflicted and every morning just brings me new punishments. And then he says, if I'd spoken out like that, in other words, he says, if I just would talk like I'm feeling right now, that wouldn't be good for my kids in church to hear how daddy, how grandpa really feels right now. I would have betrayed the, the children. Then he says, when I tried to understand all this, it deeply troubled me, almost caused him to slip until, watch this now, Psalm 73, verse 17. This is a key. Until I entered the sanctuary of God. Some of you are going to have this experience today because you've entered in to church with us. You've entered in, and don't forget, church is not a building. Church is the people. Yes, wherever you're at right now, you have entered in to the people of God, the sanctuary where God dwells. And when he finally entered into the sanctuary, he was able to get a little bit of a different perspective on life. And then he goes on to say, then I understood their, their final destiny. Again, not to take up too much time, let me kind of skip the rest here, but he's, he's, he's pretty much saying um, that, you know what, it looks, looks like they may have, be having a lot of fun right now. Number one, they're probably not having as much fun as it looks like. They're not doing as good as it looks like. And number two, this isn't the end of the story. This is just a chapter. It's not the final analysis. He finally goes on to say, God, I'm always with you. You hold me by, uh, hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. Afterwards, you'll take me into glory. Whom do I have in heaven but you? And on earth, 
I have nothing but you that I desire. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So I read a lot, made reference to a lot right there. Let me just kind of summarize a few thoughts that'll help us because things are not always as, as they appear. And sometimes we feel like we too are just on the verge, we're on the precipice of, of falling off ourselves, almost. Well, what, what went wrong and, and, and what went right? Well, first of all, Asaph had quite a shallow uh, and superficial perspective, uh, like, like we all do. Uh, in fact, it, it was so shallow that you know, he saw some of the truth. It's like being in the shallow end of a pool. You, mean, you might go into the shallow end of a pool, you go, hey, this isn't very fun. This, I'm not having a good time in the shallow end. Well, that's not the whole pool. There's also a deep end where maybe you can have a lot more fun by diving in, swimming around, whatever. There's some truth that he saw, but he certainly did not see the whole story. I know I already... Uh, read you a lot of scripture, but let me reread a few of those verses in the message paraphrase that kind of updates it. Um, for example, he says, pretentious with arrogance, they wear their latest fashions. Pampered and overfed, they're decked out uh, with bows of silliness. They're full of hot air, loud mouths disturbing the peace. Then here's why I like this. And people, you ever notice if you're looking at things people are saying in the news, on social media? He says, people are actually listening to them. Can you believe it? Uh, what's going on here? Is God out to lunch? Is nobody tending the, the store? See, that's what a superficial kind of uh, look at, at life is, is going to do. So one of the reasons he almost slipped he almost threw in the towel with this whole God thing. He finally said, ah, oh, enough church, enough Jesus. I don't want to hear any more about that. Is because he had a very superficial and shallow view of what was going on. Not only was it shallow, it was also insufficient. It wasn't enough. Uh, if you notice the language in the early part of Psalm 73, he uses the word I a lot and me, and mine, and they. So I, me, mine, I'm looking at what's going on in their lives, what they are doing. And when that was the situation, he, he wasn't strong enough. It, that's not sufficient to hold us. This is so good, I actually wrote it down. I, I don't want to mess this up, so I apologize. But let, let, let me read this to you right now. I wrote down, sometimes our perspectives... Our experiences and our opinions are not enough to handle the weight of our faith. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> I don't even need you to amen me. I'm going to amen myself on that one right now. Let me read this one to you again. And this is, I'm not patting myself on the back because it's something brilliant I came up with. It's, it's, it's just a biblical principle. Let me say it again. Sometimes, I'll make it personal, sometimes my perspective, my experiences, and my opinions are not enough to handle the weight of my faith. A perfect Bible example is when Peter was walking on the water, living the supernatural life to Jesus, and you remember what happened? It says he was doing fine until what? 
He looked at the, at the effect of the winds and the waves and got his eyes off Jesus. And then, just like Asaph in this psalm, he began to sink. Why? Because his perspective, his experiences were not enough to sustain the weight of his faith. I know some of you right now may be thinking, you know what, I'm about ready to, to slip myself, to give up myself, because this thing just isn't working. I've been trying to be a good girl for so long, and it sure looks to me like all the bad girls out there are having more fun, making more money, living longer lives. I, I don't know if this thing is worth it. Doesn't matter. Some of you just count. It doesn't matter anyway. What difference does it make? I mean, people get so depressed. Uh, whether I'm good or bad, whatever, we all end up in the same place. It won't do any good. So we can have, is this problem, like, like, like it can be our problem, is that Asaph's perspective was shallow. It was not the whole story. And besides that, it was insufficient. It wasn't strong enough to hold the weight of his faith. Again, why? Because it was just I, me, mine, and they. No, God, I, me, mine, and they. What they're doing and what I'm doing. The result of that is that Asaph, like happens to us, ends up getting out of alignment with God. He ends up drifting. He's drifting away from his destiny, drifting away from his purpose, drifting away from his walk in faith, and, and, and he's just ending up empty. So it's like if you're driving a car, I mean, you got to make sure there's fuel in it. If you have an electric vehicle like me, you got to make sure you keep it charged. And not only that, from time to time, you got to make sure that your uh, steering and your tires are in alignment or you can start to drift away from where you intend to go. And if that happens for too long, you end up making some really, I'll say it nicely, foolish statements, and you start to come to some really foolish decisions. I want to caution someone right now. Be careful making huge life decisions. You know, you're going to decide just to pack up and move someplace. You're going to divorce your spouse. You're going to quit your job and leave. I'm not saying those are never, ever wrong because given the certain circumstances, I know that they, they may be right on occasion. Certainly, some of them can be. But don't make major decisions when you're out of alignment, when your thinking is so shallow and, and it's so insufficient. It ends up being foolish. Did you know, talking about foolish, that the Psalms, like I've already said, are some of the most quoted uh, things in the Bible. The Psalms quote each other. In fact, you'll read some Psalms that quote another Psalm. The Psalms are quoted in other books of the Bible. Jesus, as I said a moment ago, made reference to the Psalms more than any other book in the Bible. I mean, there's great phrases like, give thanks to the Lord and his mercy endures forever. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Uh, today in music, you know, we, we would call that sampling. Uh, a lot of songs that have come out, they take a beat or a phrase or a segment from another psalm, a song and they use it to produce a whole new song. That's, that, that, that's what the Psalms do. But did you know, I bring all this up to make this point right here. There's only one Psalm that's repeated again in the book of Psalms, word for word. Ooh, 
You ever thought about that before? Maybe I'm impressed because I didn't know this till I prepared for this, this message. I had never known this. I have a PhD in theology. I have tons of Bible college and seminary, and I've been preaching for decades. And for whatever reason, this never occurred to me. There is one psalm that literally occurs in one psalm, and word for word is repeated again in a different psalm, Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. And as I've said in past teachings, the book of Psalms were put together with intent and purpose, so this is not an accident. It was done with intent. So what psalm would that be? Uh, it might surprise you because there's so many powerful things in Psalms. It's not the psalm that says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Uh, it's not the psalm that says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's not the psalm that says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Uh, it's not the psalm that says, be still and know that I am God. You know what psalm is mentioned twice? And I won't read the whole psalm. I've been reading a lot here, here, here today. But the psalm that opens up with, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And throughout that psalm, in Psalm 14, and again in Psalm 53, word for word, it says the same thing. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, I know a lot of us might want to use that verse to bash atheists and agnostics with. That's not really why it's there. In fact, while there, there's something in this, but, 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 but what I want to say to you as believers is this. That verse does not give you a reason to look at every atheist and every agnostic and say, well, you're just stupid, you're a fool. Let's get real, man. Some of the philosophers out there that are atheists and agnostics, I don't agree with them at all, but they're not stupid. They can be really, really brilliant, insightful people. Wrong, misguided, and from one perspective, foolish in all their studies and wisdom, but not stupid. And I would even add this. It doesn't even mean that they're necessarily bad people. Well, you know... I, 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 it, it, it just it doesn't mean that. They're... I'm pausing right now because I know a few ugly Christians. I'm not talking about how they look physically. I'm, they're just, you know what I mean. They're kind of ugly, nasty, just nasty people. And I know some people that are atheists and agnostics that are actually nicer people with better families, at least they're trying, than those who call themselves Christians. Nonetheless, when you get a shallow perspective on life and you are, are have an insufficient basis upon which to make some decisions, it's not strong enough to hold your faith. If you're not careful, you can become rather foolish. Had a professor when I was in college, uh, my freshman year, <laughs> I gotta realize, man, this guy you're looking at right now, I just went straight from high school right into college. All I had had, had was Sunday school. And I stepped into this secular university and my mind was blown. Uh, all these guys were so anti-Christian. And this is back in the 1970s. I bet it's way, way worse today. In the 1970s, my first day in psychology class, my professor opens up the Bible. I thought, well, finally a class that maybe he's not going to rip Jesus and rip religion and rip Christians. And he read the Bible. But you know what he read from? He read from Psalm 7 when Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of flesh? 
And then my professor closed the book and looked at the class, and it was a big class. It was a lecture hall, over 100 students. He said, said, young men and women, the Apostle Paul is a classic example of a psychologically sick person. I was like, oh man. And, and the guy, by the way, ended up being a great professor, a great teacher. It was a great class, but he was very anti-religious. Now, let me tell you something else about him. I'm telling the story for a reason. I found out later that every day he would go over across the campus to a local bar and just start to drink and was pretty much of a semi-functional alcoholic. Also found out he was a PK, preacher's kid. He had grown up in church. His daddy had been a preacher. I don't know all that went on, but something had turned him off. And man, he was antagonistic. So I began to just kind of hang around and talk to him because eventually he knew I was a believer, but I wasn't weird and strange. And you know what he eventually one time admitted to me? And this, this, this blew my mind as a freshman. He finally admitted to me, because we'd have all these arguments about the existence of God and is the Bible true and all this kind of stuff. We'd go back and forth and in good nature. I, mean, we, I wish more people could have good natured debates like that today rather than yelling at each other. And he finally one time, he had a little bit too much to drink, told me the truth. He said, actually, it's not so much that I think there's more arguments against God's existence and that there's probably not a God. It's that I just don't want to change my life. Because at that point, he was a middle-aged man. To me, he was an old man. And he had some of those young co-ed girls that he was able to sleep with. And he didn't want to give that up. He wasn't about to turn away. So he didn't, even, he didn't even want to believe there was a God because there would be a price to be paid in his lifestyle if, if he did. Watch out as a believer, because maybe that verse, the fool says in his heart, there is no God, isn't for us to rip atheists and agnostics with. Maybe it's a warning for us believers that when we start to go, man, I've been going to church, I've been tithing, I've been praying, whether we have or not, we'll say that, and all of this, and yet, man, my life's no better, and all these other people out there, they don't love God, they, I don't know if they even believe in God, and their lives are way, way better. And then we start to go, uh, and now we become a fool. The Bible warns us twice, <laughs> twice. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Well, insufficient perspective, too shallow. What finally helped? What finally helped Asaph to get his life together, and at least to the extent where he had to not become a fool. The key verse in Psalm 73, which I emphasized when I read it, are verses 15 through 17, especially verse 17. Let me read some of that to you again in the message paraphrase. It says in verse 15, if I'd given in and talk like this, and all the rest said, oh man, it's not doing any good. The wicked are prospering. They're mocking God and they're doing better than I am. I might as well throw in the towel. He says, if I talk like this, it would have betrayed my dear children. So at first he kept it together, not so much for his own sake, but for the sake of his kids. He says, still, when I tried to figure it out, he said, all I got was a splitting headache. <laughs> he was trying to figure out, how can this be when there's a God who's supposed to bless me and I've been following him doing my best and they're all doing better than me. I think you got a headache. Until, well, here it is. Here's what made the difference. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I saw the whole picture. Ooh, I like that. And again, 
Just because you walk into a church building is not what he's talking about. He's talking about getting into the presence of God. Now, on the other hand, can I also tell you that there's more power in gathering as a church than you might think there is. Whether it's online, on campus, in person, whatever, at least in my life there is all the time. Sometimes I go to church, I didn't want to go to church that day. Remember the old joke, you have to go, you're the preacher. But I don't want to go to church and maybe once I go, the songs aren't particularly that great. And then the message, whoever's preaching, maybe it's me preaching myself, Ah, it's not very good either. But I'll tell you one thing church never fails to do for me. It helps me sort of reset, realign to make sure I'm going the right way. And almost all the time, I feel very, very refreshed and it gives me a different perspective. Asaph said, it gave me a headache trying to figure all this out until I entered into the sanctuary and God enabled me to see a little bit more, not just the shallow end, the deep end. I got a little bit more of a complete picture of what's going on. Uh, never underestimate the power of being with God's people. Again, I, I'm run out of time here, but his, his language changed. Remember in the first part of this psalm, it's all I, me, mine, I, me, mine, and they. It changes now. He uses the word you a lot. He says, God, uh, if he does say I, I need to, to look to you. I want to challenge someone to do that with me today, by the way. It's not all just about me, I, me, mine, nor is it all about what they're doing and what's going on in their life. It's about what God has for us. In fact, sometimes we're trying to figure God out, and God all the time is holding us, and he says, I got you. Even they, he changes his perspective on they, not only on I, me, mine, but on they. In the early part, of Psalm 73, he's envious and jealous of they. By the end of the psalm, he feels bad for him. I, I think that's kind of funny. In other words, he basically just recalibrates. I don't know if people have to do that anymore, but I remember in the early days of uh, technology and smartphones and pads and even other devices, very often you had to calibrate. Uh, before you started, it would take you this thing, you'd put your finger here, and say, okay, this thing would pop up, put it here, put it there, because it would calibrate the screen uh, so that, you know, if you put your finger here, but you miss it, uh, and I think nowadays everything must be auto-calibrated, because I haven't had to do that for a long time now. But a few of you not-so-old-timers might remember that, recalibrating. Look at, look at me right now. Spending time like you're doing with us right now, hearing the Word of God preached, prayer, it sort of calibrates our lives. It recalibrates us so that when things happen to us and, and we push on the help app, app, I need help, I need help, it actually works. Whereas if it's not set up right, you may be pushing on the screen where it says app, but if it's not calibrated, well, you, you know what I'm talking about. I'm glad that God helps me keep my life properly calibrated in alignment. And the last thing I'll throw out to you is this. I love how at the very end of this song, Asaph makes the comment. Where is it at? Yeah, there it is. Verse 26. He says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my life, the strength of my heart, and my portion forever. I like that word portion. He's my portion forever. He's my it. Uh, he's my drug. 
I was talking to someone the other day and I was saying, you know what, apart from God and my family, right now golf's kind of my kind of my drug. That's kind of my thing. And as I age, at some point, I won't be able to golf anymore. I, I need to find a little something new that'll become, I think you know what I mean by that. My, it, it's, it's, it's my thing. <laughs> Somebody used to say, that's my jam. The writer is basically saying, God, you're my it. You're my thing. You're my drug. Uh, you're you're my jam. You're you're enough for me. You're all that I need. Something happens when we're able to say that to God. That God's all we need. And and do you know what? As I wrap this up right now, if you've been listening to this, you're going, man, Pastor. I don't know, man. My my foot's almost slipping. In fact, I think my foot has slipped. Well, in some ways, you're 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 in really good company. The great John the Baptist. He almost fell at the end of his life. He doubted so much that he told his own disciples, go ask that guy Jesus, who he'd already declared to be the Lamb of God, go ask him if he really is the one or if we're going to look for someone else. John the Baptist's life wasn't doing too well. He was doubting. You're in good company. How about Elijah? After he had this great experience of conquering the prophets of Baal, he gets all depressed. He's, he's hide, he hides and just wants to die. He literally gets so depressed, he wants to die. He almost fell until God restored him. What about Elisha's servant who walks out one morning and they're surrounded by the Syrian army? I mean, he, he this is it, man. Elisha, the prophet, had to give him a new perspective. God opened up his eyes that he can see what's really going on, that there's more with us right now than are against us. And guess what? Even Jesus in the garden had his own fleshly moment of like, wow. When in the garden, Gethsemane says, says, Lord, if there's any other way that we can work this out, let this cup pass from me. He's like, Jesus, I don't want to have to go through this. He's telling his father, Jesus says, is there any other way we can do this? And even then he could go back and say, but not my own will, but thine be done. There is hope for you. I know some of you have almost, some of you things are seeming really weird right now but they're not always what they appear because I promise you that God is with you. Would you let me pray with you right now? I pray, first of all, God, that you'll help open up our eyes, that we might get a perspective that's, that, that is deep enough and strong enough and sufficient enough to hold us even during the most difficult of our battles. And God, we want to thank you that you hold us in your hand. Even when we're a little bit rebellious and complaining and whining, that God, you still love us so much that, that you hold us in your hand, God. Keep doing it and change our lives today.